Thanks for downloading the Humanities Institute of Ireland podcast. This podcast features recordings of academic papers from events hosted by the Humanities Institute of Ireland and University College Dublin. For more information, go to www.ucd.ie forward slash HII. In this episode, as part of the Distinguished Guest Lecture Series, a recording of a paper by Professor Gua Di Zhu, Professor of History at the University of Hong Kong, and currently Visiting Fellow at the Humanities Institute and the Centre for War Studies at UCD. His paper was entitled Asia and the First World War. It's my great honour uh, to share my ideas on war to this distinguished group and place. Uh, my topic today is on Asia and First World War. The, the First World War or the Great War has been studied from every perspective, from its wider significance to, part, to particular issues and instances. Yet knowledge about the important role Asia played in the, in the conflict and the war's profound impact on Asia, on Asian societies remain at best limited. If the world has not yet fully realized the deep con- connection between Asia and the Great War, Asians themselves have not fully understand its legacy and impact on their own history and the development of their nations. What is especially lacking is a collective and comparative study of Asia and the Great War from transnational perspective of Asians' shared experience, aspirations, and frustrations in their connection with the Great War. To fill up the gap, I'm currently working on manuscript on this uh, uh, topic ordered by by Robert. Uh, uh, So um, in this book, I try to argue to argue the following point. The various Asian involvement in the, in the war made the Great War both truly a world war and a great war, in quotations. Uh, the First World War had deep impact on Asian societies than Asians themselves and outsiders have realized. The war actually transformed Asian societies both internally and externally. Thirdly, and more importantly, I will argue that even today, the Great War's impacts on Asian societies are still influencing Asian national development and their perceptions and interactions with with each other and outside world in significant ways. To a great extent, from an Asian perspective, the 20th century started in earnest at the outbreak of the First World War. The story of the First World War is one of tragedies, tragedies, ironies, and contradictions. This applied to Asia as well. The war had a lot to do with empires, but China, which had destroyed its own empire, struggled to realize a republic and a nation state. Over the, over the course of the war, the last Chinese emperor returned to the throne even only for seven days and a lot of Chinese politician, uh, whom I'm going to mention uh, um, uh, in detail uh, very soon, dreamed of becoming an emperor in 1915. Neither succeeded, though. Japan used the war to strengthen its imperial claims, while emerging nationalist movement in Korea, India, Vietnam tried to escape their imperial masters, masters control and secure national independence. The war was about defeat and victory. China, a person on side of the victors, was treated like one of vanquished at the post-war peace conference. Japan was a victor and saw its status in the world improve significantly or substantially, but its gains actually carried the seed of its eventual destruction. The Great War brought about an abrupt end to the 19th century world system and and opened opportunities for general reordering of world orders or world affairs have suffered a great deal and the existing world order, Chinese, Koreans, Vietnamese, and Indians all pinned high hopes on the creation of new post-war world order. For educated Asians, the Great War represented the moral decline of Europe. 
but they were all disappointed at the outcome of the war's aftermath and quickly became disillusioned with the post-war world system. China, India, and to a certain extent, Vietnam in 1919 was fundamentally different from 1914 socially, intellectually, culturally, and ideologically. The sea changes that had taken place occurred to a great extent because of war experience and broader dissatisfactions with the Paris Peace Conference in 1919. The war also served as a turning point in Japanese history. The First World War years coincided with a period of tremendous change within Asia as China struggled to become a nation state and India started its long journey to independence, while China and Vietnam eventually followed a socialist path in Japan, the Great War gave rise to a new sense of national pride that would eventually lead the Japanese to adopt military method to challenge the West outright. In the existing scholarship, the First World War has been appraised as a, either a quote, in quotation mark, a lost war, an ignored war, or forgotten war. For Asian, for Asian countries, few people understand the significance of Asian involvement, though not as devastating as in the case of Europe. Their involvement transformed the meaning and implications of the conflict, both for Asia and for the rest of the increasingly connected world system. It also helped begin the long journey toward the national independence by many Asian countries. Uh, uh, in short, the Great War was a milestone in Asian history, which remains seriously underappreciated and under-researched even today. Uh, since uh, it's uh, difficult uh, for me to discuss the whole picture surrounding Asia and First World War in a short lecture, uh, let me instead focus on China, a country has now engaged widespread imagination in the world and has been deeply influenced by the First World War and its aftermath. In many ways, China represents a typical experience of Asians' involvement in the war. Like Indians and Vietnamese, the Chinese went to Europe to support their allied war effort like Japan, India, Vietnam, or Indochina. Uh, uh, to, to be called that time. China would like to use the war as a springboard for national renewal. Today, I will concentrate on three issues which I think might be interesting to this group or this audience. First, the impact of the war on China. Second, China's role in the war. Thirdly, how the war created a shared history between the Chinese and the rest of the world. To address the first issue, the impact of war on China and its national development, I will first argue that great war presents China a great opportunity or crisis. That, by, by the way, the crisis, the, the Chinese term for crisis um, uh, con consists of two Chinese characters called Wei Ji. I think some, some of you uh, may can recognize the two terms. So Wei means danger. Ji opportunity. So basically, the outbreak of First World War represents classic example of crisis in Chinese uh, characteristics, the danger and opportunity. It's of course, the danger for China, because when, when uh, the European war break out, sooner or later, the war will be extended to China, because the uh, imperial powers, especially European powers, all had major concessions in China especially for Germany, uh, Qingdao. For those of you who have drink the, the famous Chinese beer called Qingdao beer, beer, which has a German connection, which of course Im immediately will attract uh, attention of great powers to, get, to extend the, uh, the conflict to Chinese territory. So that's the dangerous part. Another very important uh, part for um, in terms of danger, of course, when major European powers was fighting in Europe or concentrate on Europe, that gives Japan a major opportunity to turn China into a so-called dependent state or vassal state for Japan. So that's that's very uh, that's a sense of uh, danger 
or crisis, but also represent opportunity because the major international world system or, or, or world system which China paid huge price since Opium War now was collapsing. So China would like to take this opportunity to uh, insert its own ideas in creating the post-war world order. So that's basically, and this could kick out maybe would recover the Qingdao or German territory in China when the war was uh, uh, broke out, uh, when war broke out. So for many Chinese at that time, when they found out the, uh, the, read the news of outbreak of European war, the sense of both op uh, opportunities and dangers came to their mind. But eventually, they decided to, to take advantage of the opportunities by joining the war. So I will turn to that point uh, very soon. So to address the first issue, the impact of war on China and its national development, uh, I will argue that Great War presents China a great opportunity. The, broad, the broadly defined word, word, word war uh, years coincide with a period of tremendous change within China as the old Confucian civilization be began to collapse and China struggled to become a nation state and sought to assume equal relations with the West. The war signaled the collapse of the existing international system and the possible coming of a new world order. An obvious development that fed China's de desire and imagination to change its international uh, status. In consequence, the First World War was profoundly significant in shaping Chinese society, politics, foreign relations, and popular perceptions about what it means to be Chinese. The coming of the First World War was the first major world event that engaged the imagination of the Chinese social and political units, generating great fascination and excitement among them. Changes in Chinese world view and the destabilizing forces loosed by the war set the stage for China to play a role in world affairs. Even though the war seemed to have no immediate impact on China itself, the key to, un to understand the intensity of Chinese interest in the European war was, uh, was that it was seen as an effective vehicle by which the Chinese could push for internationalization at home and establish their nation anew abroad. To understand the war's impact on China, we have to keep in mind that China's determination to join the world as an equal member since Japan defeated China in 1895. One could write Chinese history from any perspective and approach, but I will argue this single-minded obsession with internationalization or with the equal uh, status in the world could is a surely a key to understanding modern China. This fixation on its status in the world has fundamentally defined China's perceptions of itself, the world, its foreign relations, and national identity. The Great War, to great extent, provide the first major motivation and opportunity for the Chinese to turn their obsession into a major foreign policy initiative which reflected their new thinking on China and the world. When the Great, Great War broke out in Europe, Chinese counterparts to, in quotation mark, generation of 1914 in Europe were clearly a new force in the struggling nation. They shared with the Europeans a sense of destiny and crisis and responsibility. Unlike the European generation, however, the Chinese unit was not I quote, one wanders between two worlds, end of quote. They were determined to make a new China out of the old. They declared a culture war against the hegemony of the old, the so-called old culture, old tradition, and old identity in China. They collectively behaved as a vanguard of culture and political change and initiated a great transformation. For these Chinese, China was no wasteland, but a land of experiment, uh, experimentation, hope, and new sense of self. 
To be, to be true, the outbreak of European war indeed present China with a great danger, given the fact that German-controlled territory in Shandong province would become a fighting ground in any minute or any moment. Moreover, with the collapse of old international system, China could be easily bullied by Japan. Despite the dangers, some Chinese indeed argued that European war present companion opportunities. War could change the international system and allow China to join the community of nations as an equal member. China might even inject its own ideas into shaping the new world order. Under the influence of such argument in August 1918, Chinese pres President Yuan Shikai, the guy I mentioned earlier, uh, uh, in 1915 tried to make himself emperor, then died uh, 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 quickly with the dream to be emperor for only for 83 days. But in 1914, in, the, in August 1914, he himself actually uh, 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 proposed to, to British minister to China, John Jordan, that China wanted to provide 50,000 soldiers to join the British military. In, uh, in fighting against Germany in Chinese territory to kick Germans out of Qingdao. Unfortunately, John Jordan, the British minister to China, rejected the pres uh, Chinese president's offer immediately. He simply argued the help from China was not wanted. So that's China's first attempt to join the war was rejected <laughs> outright without even John Jordan actually made that decision even without consulting his French or Russian colleagues in China. Assuming that Chinese cooperation was not needed, but the failure of this first attempt did not prevent the Chinese government from trying again, especially after the Chinese, uh, after the president of China, Yuan Shikai himself, was presented in January 1915 the so-called 21 demand from Japan. Because uh, this 21 demand, uh, because of time constraint, I cannot, uh, did not have time to elaborate further, basically could make China, if China accepted all the 21 demand from Japan, China would become a con colony of Japan immediately. So, so that 21 demand obviously uh, was a Japanese, uh, uh, revealed Japanese intention to China when the major powers was fighting in Europe or preoccupied with the European fighting. If Japan provide, <clears throat> by presenting the 21 demands to China, Japan literally provided China with a crisis of national identity. Basically, if, uh, as I mentioned earlier, if China accepted, China as a nation would dispute immediately. That, of course, since China was defeated in 1895 by Japan, at that time China had experienced the crisis of national identity. Now with the 21 demands from Japan, not only aroused Chinese national consciousness, but also have Chinese identify it, its first specific goal in responding to the First World, World War, attending the post-war peace conference, even when the war was still in the middle. Because at that time, in 1915, when no other countries could help China, but China was so weak to fight against Japan. So the most China would like to do to negotiate with Japan to resist the most damaging clauses uh, uh, in, from the 21 demand, then wait for post-war peace conference to recover, China was forced to, to say to Japan in 1915. That's why in 19, as early as 1915, China was determined to join the post-war peace conference. But that, of course, will present a question on which side, China, in order to join the post-war peace conference, you need to, to join the, the side of victors, right? So actually, the, the other irony was, in, as, as early as 1915, Chinese unique members conclude Germany were going to be defeated. So in order to, join, to attend the post-war peace conference, China should declare war on Germany. So that's why the Chinese made its mind in as early as 1915 to basically to join the, the side of Allied side. Actually, that ironically is the same side Japan belonged to. Even 
Germany was actually was not intended enemy, Japan was. But in order to, to attend the post-war peace conference, China joined the same side of Japan. It's the most deadly enemy China had at that time. In order, Germany, actually, I, I, I will argue, uh, hopefully I have time to do it, actually became a friend in disgust because helped China to gain uh, a chair in the post-war peace conference. So attending the post-war peace conference became obsession in 1915 uh, for, for the Chinese. Although China had early ex uh, expressed its uh, intention to join the war, it was only after the 21 demands that sub sufficient momentum had gathered for the government to act on its not now almost irresist irresist uh, resistible desire to attend the post-war peace conference. Left with no alternative effective options, both the government and the Chinese uh, unit members became determined to link China's fate to the post-war uh, post world order and international system to cultivate the goodwill of the world community to, to win back what China had lost uh, uh, in, in 21 demands, even actually the China lost since opium war in, uh, in 1850s, uh, 40s. So China also wished uh, uh, um, the, the post-war uh, post peace conference will help China to, to recover the lost national dignity, sovereignty, even prestige. By 1915, Chinese intellectuals and other social elite widely supported a new official goal of attending post-war peace conference. The challenge, of course, was how to win that seat. The best way to win a seat at the post-war peace conference was, of course, through direct, participa direct participation in the war. In this sense, they eventually declared war between China and Germany in 1917. was phony because there was no fighting and Germany was not the intended enemy. Germany became a, vi a victim or the vehicle in China's big picture strategy. Germany was, in fact, uh, as I mentioned earlier, a friend in disguise since it helped China springboard into the world arena. During the Great War, the for the first time in its modern history, China articulated a desire to join the world as an equal member and took action to do so. By this effect, China tried to correct the fatal or near fatal mistakes it had made in, 19, uh, in 18th and 19th centuries when it was refused to accommodate the, um, the new international system and failed to acknowledge the power of the West. This time, it was the West that refused to accept China, but at the, at the Paris Peace Conference, the Chinese fought back. The, their refusal to sign the Treaty of Versailles, of Versailles Treaty, marked the first time since the Opium War that China had stood up to the West. To, to an extent, some Chinese bitterness toward the West after the Paris Peace Conference has colored the Chinese perceptions about peace, development, security, and certainly the West itself. If the First World War was a watershed event in China's search for national, for new national identity and effort to enhance its position in the world, it also left a lasting legacy by shaping Chinese perceptions of world order and the West. The war and its aftermath, therefore, should be considered pivotal in shaping modern Chinese historic consciousness and national mooring. During the period of First World War, the Chinese unit tried to build a nation state without preserving ingredients of Chinese culture and tradition. They tried to redefine China's uh, national identity in terms that had nothing to do with its own civilization and experience. The coexistence of liberalism and warlordism in China was a strange mix that made China a monster with two heads, each facing a, a different direction. In fact, a dual policy-making process exist, existed during this period. On one side was modern, outward-looking bureaucrats and units who tried hard to push China into the international system. And on the other was the warlords 
and ultra-conservatives who wish only to stop the clock effectively mortgaging China's future for their own personal benefit or interest. The tensions generated by this process created an acute dilemma that put, that put in jeopardy the quest for a new national identity and made China's entry into the international system difficult. China in the year 1919, in the wake of the European war, was fundamentally different from China of 1914, socially, intellectually, culturally, and ideologically. The sea changes that had taken place had occurred to a great extent because of strong interactions and snowballing effects between the Great War and China. So, so that's basically is a is a part of, uh, on the impact of uh, of war on China. So now let me turn to my second point: China's role in the war. To illustrate uh, my major argument, let me use the Chinese workers in France during the Great War as a key reference point. As I mentioned earlier, as early as 1915, China was determined to join the war one way or another. But China pro uh, proposed to join the war in, 19, in 1914, was rejected by, by Great Britain. So China proposed again in 1915 to join the war, this time was rejected by Japan. So in order to link the fate of China with a post-war uh, uh, world order, China had to do something quickly or creatively. The, creati the creative strategy China came out was, uh, was basically so-called to send soldiers, uh, to send workers uh, to, to Europe. Uh, in Chinese term called yi gun bin, literally means workers or laborers in place of soldiers. So this, this idea actually, uh, the proposal came from very powerful Chinese individual by the name Yang Siyi. He was uh, very creative or uh, imaginative. Sometimes he was called by uh, Machiavelli of China by some Western uh, uh, observers. So in, in 1915, uh, Mr. Yang proposed China would like to send workers. Actually, in the beginning, when he proposed to send workers to uh, to Europe, he made the proposal to Great Britain first. The, the proposal he made was actually that these workers were the militarized workers. That means they will allow, they will carry weapons. In other words, China will join the war <laughs> indirectly by, in this way. But Great Britain in 1915, again, was not excited for this proposal. The Great Britain rejected Chinese offer for help in 1915. But France actually jumped at the Chinese proposal immediately then start to recruit Chinese workers to work in France. So to make a long story short, eventually France recruited about 40,000 Chinese workers to come to France to support their war effort. French, uh, actually the French military tried to recruit more, but, but due to the constraints or shortages of shipping capacities and the recruitment problem in China, then eventually you only uh, uh, recruit about 40,000 uh, Chinese workers. 40,000. 40, yeah, five, uh, four zero thousand recruited by the French uh, government. In 1916, now uh, I put this quotation here, Winston Churchill made the very famous speech uh, on the issue of Chinese workers. Uh, uh, you, you can see basically now in 1916, the Great Britain was in, in trouble because the war did not go as well as it wished. So now they would like to uh, uh, actually receive support from anywhere. So in Winston Churchill's phrase, I will, not, <laughs> I will not even shrink from the word Chinese for the purpose of carrying on the war. So in 1916, in summer 1916, Great uh, British government reversed its previous decision. So now they decide to, to accept Chinese help. In other words, to, uh, to, uh, to allow the Chinese workers to come to France to support the British war effort as well. So eventually, the, Chinese, uh, the Great Britain recruit about 100,000 workers to help the British war effort in France. 
the, the reason why they insist is have to be in front because of the very powerful work unions in Great Britain basically fought so hard to, uh, against the government decision to use the Chinese, then eventually they say these workers will be used for war effort for war in France. They were not allowed to, to, uh, to, to set the foot in Great Britain. So these workers, uh, uh, if you um, later on, hopefully I have time to show you some images. They were, they were called by the, both British government and French government as coolies. Coolies in Chinese are called, I put that to, um, um, con consist of two Chinese characters. One is called cool or suffering. Another one, li or power or strength. So these people, this group of people, of course, they were coolies. They were, uh, uh, su uh, they suffered uh, sub substantially from the, uh, the racism, from mistreatment, but also they have actually present a lot of power because they, uh, I, will, uh, I will elaborate later on, they, will, uh, they provide very valuable support to both British and French uh, war effort. After, uh, after 1917, when um, the United States joined the war, the British uh, American government actually contract 10,000 Chinese workers from French side to support the British uh, American uh, the uh, military force in in, uh, in Europe as well. So, so China's decision to send neighbors as a, or workers as soldiers was based on both expediency and on far-reaching strategic thinking. This unprecedented move was a product of a young Republican China's forward-looking policies. Many political unit and public intellectuals directly link these workers' uh, soldiers' plan to their vision of China's future development and the goal of assuming equal status in the family of nations. From the very beginning, the Chinese unit, whether government officials, independent thinkers, educators, considered the idea of sending workers to Europe from very broad perspective. First, the workers were crucial and coherent parts of, of their grand plan to, to have China join the community of nations as an equal member. The thinking want that have a Chinese workers work side by side with Westerners in France would forge a crucial link between China and the West and would be daily reminder to the world of the strategic, of the strategic relevance of China's uh, and, uh, workers as soldiers uh, program or Chinese uh, uh, dream to join the world as a equal member. To have a new human resources had become important for winning or losing for France as it enters the, the summer of 1915, the second year of the war. The French government realized it, had, it might soon go bankrupt in human resources because it simply did not have enough men to replace the dead and injured. France thus immediately jumped at the offer from China and start to recruit uh, Ch Chinese in late 1915. Uh, in 19, one year later, British uh, followed the uh, uh, same suit. Starting in summer of 1916, British government started to recruit Chinese workers for support its military courses in France as the French did for themselves. So during the war, as I mentioned earlier, the French recruit 40,000, 40,000, the British uh, 100,000 Chinese. So, so uh, in total, it, it's a, about 140,000 Chinese. Most of uh, them illiterate uh, peasant, journeyed, journeyed to Europe. Among them, uh, uh, most of them came from Shandong province, by the way, uh, the Lawson uh, uh, territory in China. The, uh, the people from Shandong was taller, stronger, also in terms of the environment, was similar to France, because it's a, uh, uh, Shandong was very cold in winter, uh, hot in summer. So, so this, uh, these workers from China were recruited by the government of France and Britain to help both countries in their great war, great war against Germans. As I mentioned earlier, later on when the United States joined the war, Americans take advantage of Chinese uh, human resources as well. During the First World War, the South Africans, Indians, Vietnamese, and many others uh, provide workers or laborers to France during the war to support the British or the French war effort. 
Many weren't because they came from colonial countries and had to answer the call from their imperial masters. But China, no country's colony, and this in, <laughs> in name, China was not uh, any country's colony, sent by far the largest number of men. And its workers worked in Europe the longest. Majority of Chinese, by the way, did not return to China until 1922. So, so uh, a lot of them spent more than uh, uh, four years in Europe during the, uh, during the broadly defined First World War period. So the Chinese came voluntarily, and their contributions was, uh, I will argue, quite uh, uh, significant. The First World War is a war of trenches. The Chinese, Chinese was master trench diggers. The, uh, the Great War was war of high techs, such as tanks and airplanes. The Chinese were most skillful tank repairmen. Uh, later on, I will show you some uh, images of, uh, of Chinese who work with, uh, with tanks. These Chinese figured uh, importantly as a messengers between the Chinese and Western civilizations. As, uh, as, uh, as some scholars argue, the Great War was, uh, from very beginning, was categorized as a war of civilizations. By examining the, wo the, world, uh, the work and experience of the Chinese workers, we may gain a, a, new, uh, a new perspective on the difference between uh, between East and Western civilizations and their fusions and new understandings about the war and subsequent development in China and the rest of the world. The First World War was a total war. It evolved the human front, uh, I'm sorry, it evolved the home front, the military, and the battlefront. The Chinese workers helped keep their allies fighting. They were, they were, uh, these workers from China were young, and strong, and more importantly, China had a lot of them. If the vital contribution of the United States to the war, to the First World War, was on the economic front, as a Yale historian Paul Kennedy uh, suggested, it kept the Allied side from, uh, uh, from uh, fighting, uh, I quote uh, uh, Paul Kennedy, without embarrassment of economic bankruptcy. I will argue that China's contribution to the the, the Great War was its manpower, with 140,000 workers in the field and in, Fran in France, and more will come if needed. China greatly strengthened the Allied front and support industries. China's role in the war has also to be examined by its active participation in the post-war peace conference and the establishment of the the New World Order. The Great War period was the first time, and so far the only time in history, that China largely shared Western values and linked its fate with the emerging New World Order and actively took part in its creation. Many educated Chinese excitedly embraced, uh, embraced American President Woodrow Wilson's blueprint for a new world order, especially his ideas for League of Nations. China perhaps was the only country that had the strongest faith in and pushed hard for creating the League of Nations. Thus, trusting Woodrow Wilson and obsessed with the idea of a League of Nations and new world order, the Chinese had extremely high hopes for the coming peace conference. China would like to use the post-war post peace conference to to let the world listen to its voice, its ambition, and its determination to recover China's lost sovereignty and join the world as an equal member. Chinese not only try to serve China's interests by demanding and revision of its unequal treaties uh, with, a foreign, uh, with foreign powers, they also took active roles in attempting to shape the world communities and assume the full membership. After all, China's fate depended on a fair world order. Such high expectations for, for Wilson and the post-war peace conference brought many of China's best and brightest to Paris, either as uh, official members of Chinese delegation or semi-private citizens. 
uh, to push for China's goals at the conference in the first six months of 1919. Uh, Yang Qicao, Wang Jingwei, Li Sizhen, and many others, they were uh, very powerful private Chinese citizens at that time, came traveled to Paris to witness the historic event and push China's causes at the global venue. Unfortunately, China's high expectations was met with a so-called great betrayal. China did not get Shandong back. Its plea for better treatment and recovery of lost sovereignty fell to the deaf ears. But given in the case of frustrations and disappointments, Chinese obviously shared similar experience with others. Like the Chinese, Americans seem to be frustrated with the, the result of Paris Peace Conference, for example. The failure of China at Paris to a great extent contribute to Wilson's eventual defeat at home. Wilson compromised on Shandong issue to save his cherished plan for a new world order. However, his handling of Shandong issue became an effective weapon for his opponent in the American Congress and elsewhere to attack the whole peace treaty and eventually defeat it. Germany, like China, was deeply disappointed with the verdict of Versailles Treaty. By refusing to sign the Versailles Peace Treaty with, with Germany, China managed to reach, by the way, China was the only country, or so-called on the side of victors, which uh, refused to sign the Versailles Treaty. So on June 28, 1919, uh, when the uh, signing ceremony took place, the only two chairs reserved for Chinese delegate was empty. That's for Woodrow Wilson. That was shocking. He, co he confessed uh, to his Secretary of State, say, that was shocking. So that have a terrible consequences. It turned out uh, it, the consequence was huge for him because uh, his um, cherished uh, Versailles Treaty was vetoed by the American Congress. So by refusing to sign the Versailles Peace Treaty, China managed to reach the first equal treaty China signed with a major power since Anson Buningen Treaty in 1868. China and Germany both very disappointed with the Treaty of Versailles and the New World Order, and both have shared the bond of sense of togetherness, were determined to turn a new page in their mutual relations after 1921, when Germany and China signed the first so-called equal treaties, which China managed to have with the Western power. To a great extent, this explains why Germany had enjoyed good relations with China in 1920s and 1930s. Uh, uh, now let me turn to my final point, the shared history through the Great War. China's involvement in the First World War is a unique chapter in both Chinese and world history. China's entry into the Great War made made the war really a world war and transformed the meaning and implications of the conflict both for China and for the world and inject substantially new content and perspective to the post-war peace conference and the emerging new world order. Its involvement in the war also brought China back into a large world history of the 20th century. No matter how we evaluate China's war contributions and effort, by studying China and the First World War, we at least can add a full and given new dimension in our collective memory of the war, its human tragedy, and its significance. Moreover, studying China and the Great War provides substantial but missing link between 1919 in Chinese history. We, uh, I described a year of great promise because that year China of the Chinese overthrew the 2000 long imperial system by setting up China as the first republic in Asia in, uh, in, uh, by following the footprint of France and the United States. So China declared, stealth, uh, it declared itself as a republic on first day of 1912. So that's basically why I say called the year of great promise and 1919 a year of reflection and new thinking and point of departure in Chinese modern history. China's involvement in the, in the war and its aftermath offered a vital window onto the ongoing enterprise of nation building 
and new Chinese national consciousness even today. The interaction between, Chinese, uh, between China and the world fully symbolizing the beginning of China's long journey for internationalization and brought China into the world and make war important part of its own history in China. With the Great War, China embarked on a new journey, namely to join the world as an equal member in the, nation, uh, in the uh, family of nations and national renewal. The, pre the, pre uh, the presence of 140,000 Chinese, Chinese working side by side with the Westerners during the war itself an important part of the shared history of, uh, of both Chinese and Western history. Moreover, a shared history was created by making the long marginalized but large number of Chinese workers or peasants to be direct participants of China's national development. Although most of Chinese workers in Europe were illiterate farmers with no clear ideas about China or the world when they were selected to go to Europe, they actually symbolized China's search for new national identity and internationalization. As a result of their personal experience in Europe and daily work with Americans, British, French, and fellow workers from other countries, the Chinese developed a unique perception of China as a nation and as a member in the family of the nations. To a great extent, these workers eventually became a new citizens of China and the world and developed a new understanding and appreciation of China and its position in the world. Chinese workers' great war years, uh, great war years in France represent the first time such large number of ordinary Chinese had personal contact with the West. With, without a doubt, this experience not only provides them an opportunity to observe and experience life in a larger civilization, but also a chance to reflect on the Chinese way of life and, and society. When they returned home, they brought with them new ideas, new thoughts, and inspirations to change. In other words, the workers were more than hired workers. They were the first wave of new Chinese participation in world affairs. And as such, they contribute to the creation of new national identity in China. Although rarely credited, the Chinese workers in France also played an important role in May 4th moment in 1919. May 4th moment, by the way, was a pivotal, uh, significant moment in China's national development, an important event and turning point in Chinese history. Their presence in Europe led to China's participation in the post-war peace conference, and the result of the conference then directly triggered the May 4th movement. So in other words, the Chinese workers actually played a very important role in, in both of them. It might be interesting to note that two popular slogans during the May 4th movement was linked to the journey of Chinese workers to Europe, namely, right over power and the um, neighbor is a sacred. After the Great War, both workers and unique members in China realized the importance of uh, labor and their role in making New China. Furthermore, a shared history was also created between Chinese workers or the, uh, the peasants and China's unique members. When the Chinese workers uh, uh, came to France, the YMCA uh, uh, played actually an uh, international organization, and Chinese un un uh, unique members were very interested in this uh, Chinese labor's uh, uh, lives and experience in Europe and recruit Chinese best and brightest. Uh, to help and work with this uh, group of Chinese workers in Europe. Through uh, their work with the Chinese workers in Europe, either as a YMCA secretaries or educators, the, the existing and future Chinese leaders like James Yan, like Jiang Tianfu, like Lin Rutan, or Cai Renpei, many, uh, among many others, became convinced China could one day emerge as a powerful nation. The elite members and workers learn from each other the elite members taught the Chinese workers to learn and to read and understand world and Chinese affairs. The workers helped the elite members develop a new appreciation 
for Chinese working class spurred, spurred them to find solutions to Chinese problems and change their perceptions about China and its future. The most famous story of teacher as, 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 as a student was that of James Yan. Uh, James Yan's experience with Chinese workers in France taught him that these Chinese workers were smart, good-hearted, and eager to learn. What they lacked was education. So Yan decided to devote his whole life to easing their suffering and unleashing their power, like a coolie, uh, return the poor. He would devote his, his life to eventually to mass education both in China and later on in the world. In 1920s, mass education swept into thousands of Chinese villages, villages in every province of China. James Yan's mass education movement even became a model for many other countries, including the United States. In the 1930s, when the American Secretary of Education uh, announced the United States government was embarking on a campaign to wipe out Illiteracy in the United States, he added that the plan was not unlike James Yan's program in China. A New York Times article called James, uh, James Yan's method of teaching the masses to read and write could serve as a, I quote, uh, as a striking example for America. Later, later on, the United Nations would urge James Yan to extend his mass education and rural reconstruction work to the, to the rest of the world. This kind of interesting and surpassing development is a part of the shared history as well. Moreover, China's uh, workers' journey to France also had deep impact on future of Chinese co communism by inspiring work study uh, program. In January 1919, a new work study program started to attract, to attract worldwide attention among the, uh, actually uh, attract widespread attention among the Chinese and eventually brought future communist leaders uh, uh, to Europe, such as Zhou Enlai, the future prime minister of PRC, and Deng Xiaoping. When Deng Xiaoping arrived in France, he was only four, 15 or 16 years old boy. He spent five years in Europe by following the footprint of Chinese workers under discussion for today. So, <clears throat> In, in, in 1921, Joe Nair openly acknowledged the Chinese workers in France was pioneers of work-study program for the future Chinese communist leaders. Let me uh, conclude by summarizing my key point uh, uh, on China. China's involvement in the Great War helped make it a real world war, uh, it's a, uh, make it a real world war, and the Great War served as a vehicle for China's regeneration, renewal, and transformation. Also, that same argument could be used to describe the whole Asia experience in the First World War. Uh, I guess my time is up. Thank you so much for listening.